Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. All right, we're going to go to our final session now, so I'd like you to turn to uh, uh, Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. And I thought uh, that we'd end up on a little bit more practical line than what we've been on. So let's turn to, we're going to be talking about growth in Christian grace. All right, so just before we uh, do, the, <laughs> I, better, I better not, I'll backslide if I sit on the, <laughs> that just rolls around. That's a, that's a holy roller chair on the front. <laughs> All right, so these are the sessions that we've covered so far. So introductory in the light of, of this. Number one, we looked at the purpose of Pentecost and how we were called, like Israel, to be a kingdom of peace, a holy nation, and so forth. We spent a whole night on that one verse. And then number two, uh, the mercy and the people of God, not my people, no more mercy, but now we are the people of God and we have obtained mercy. Everybody said hallelujah. And then number three, you build up a spiritual house. And then, as I said, if you have a house or a covenant, you have a house. And if you have a house, you have to have priesthood, royal priesthood, kings and priests. Uh, So I'm looking at a bunch of kings and priests here. And number five, uh, if you have a priesthood, you have to have sacrifices. We looked at uh, spiritual sacrifices last week. And then we moved to Second Peter on the warnings and testings of false ministries. And uh, tonight we've looked at an overview of the last days. Did that make sense pretty much to everybody? Uh, who didn't it make sense to? <laughs> uh, didn't to you? Okay. Uh, we'll keep it to the end and we'll try and make room. Uh, we, we say if the Bible makes common sense, seek no other sense or you'll land in non- non- nonsense. <laughs> hope we didn't get that. All right, so on the last session here, how then we should live in the light of all these things and the eight sessions we've done uh, in Peter, how can a believer experience Christian growth? Okay, let's turn to Second Peter chapter 1, and I'd like to read uh, verses here for our final session. All right, so I'm reading from uh, New King James here. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied. These are words we're sort of emphasising the way through. Multiplied, multiplication to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As his divine power... We'll refer to that divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called, who called us, so divine calling by glory and virtue, by which, uh, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, divine promises, that through these you may uh, be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You'll see that on the diagram at the end. Uh, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. I wonder why we did that, yeah. And to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will uh, neither be... uh, I'm still in the old authorized here. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Your calling, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. Amen. All right, so 
Let's uh, look at uh, letter A on your notes here. So we've read our scripture here. So we want to end up on, you know, in the light of all these things that we've been looking at now, our last seven sessions, what are we, what are we going to do about it? All right. So there's uh, four things I want you to note here. Number one, the divine power. So you'll notice that uh, in uh, verse uh, three, as his divine power. So... It's not of ourselves, it's of divine power that God gives us the grace. It's tough being a Christian, isn't it? Any dead fish can float downstream, takes a live stream to push upstream. So we need the power of God. And then uh, number two, we have the divine call. I emphasize that, um, which is in verse three, as his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue. So we have a divine call. And then in verse four, we have the divine promises by which we have given, uh, been given, uh, by which have been given to us. So I've got two translations here. To us exceedingly great and precious promises. So I refer to that as the divine promises that God has given us. And then uh, number four, that through these, or appropriating these, you may be partakers of, number four, the divine nature. Now in the scriptures we've read there, and... Uh, the implications are here, are very strong. That First uh, Peter chapter one verse 22, uh, 23 says, "We're born again of the incorruptible seed, the Word of God." Uh, Once you go back, just take a left to that one. First Peter chapter one and verse twenty-three, and this expression, "being born again," is only used by mainly by John in his epistle and and in the gospel. It's only used by one other man, that's Peter. So verse 23 says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abide forever. Wow, that's awesome. Do you realize that within our mortal frames, we have an incorruptible seed? This old body perishes and is perishing. We're more conscious of that but we're born again of an incorruptible seed. That's inside of us. So in the natural, we were born of human seed, but here we have incorruptible seed inside of us. The word of God, no mistake on that. And then uh, the next scripture you've got there, John chapter 3, 1 to 12, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and uh, Jesus says to him, you know, unless you're born again, born from above, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. And uh, Nicodemus misses the whole thing. He says, uh, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb? And uh, Jesus says, if I've told you earthly things and you don't understand that, how are you going to understand if I tell you heavenly things? So there's a natural birth and there's a heavenly birth. So unless a person experiences that they don't understand it. So in those scriptures I've given you there, 1 John 2, 29, 3, 9, uh, 9 twice, chapter 4, verse 7, 5, verse 1, 4, and 18. Uh, John's epistle, he speaks about being born again, characteristics of those who are born of God. And Luke uh, 8, 11, off your notes here, uh, the seed is the word. So there's nothing wrong with the seed. This incorruptible seed is planted within this human being. All right, then the next thing, and we referred to this last week, uh, in our natural birth, we are partakers of human nature, but in our spiritual birth, we are partakers of divine nature. And uh, I, 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 mean, I don't think I, and I don't think all of us really fully understand that within this human nature, I am a partaker of the divine nature. Can you say amen on that? And see, Jesus is the head of the church. He illustrates and demonstrates this. Jesus is the sinless God-man. And in Jesus, how many, how many believe Jesus is God? How many believe Jesus is man? So it wasn't that God turned into a man. A bit of theology here. 
God took on humanity. So Jesus is really the God-man. And the difference is this, that Jesus was partaker of human nature and divine nature, but it was the divine nature within the human nature that carried him through victoriously over sin. So what happened in the God-man, God wants to do in us. Do we believe that? And you see, Paul puts it this way. He writes to the uh, the Galatian church and says, I want Christ to be formed in you. Christ being formed in us. That's what he wants. And then Colossians, uh, this one's not on your notes. You might like to put it down. Colossians 1. In fact, let's turn to that. Colossians 1 and verse uh, 27 to 29. Colossians 1, verse 27 to 29. And Paul puts it this way. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this ministry, uh, mystery among you, the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I think I've mentioned this one other session here, but let me bear with me as I repeat it again. For years, I knew the truth of being in Christ. How many know the truth of that? Uh, Nobody? Two or three over here? Okay. Uh, if any man be in Christ, and for my own study and help, I went through at least 130 references to being in Christ. If any man be in Christ, is in the new creature, all things have passed away, all things become new. So I knew what it was to be in Christ. But then one time I heard a preacher by the name of... Um, Major Ian Thomas, not Major in the Salvation Army, but I think he was a uh, chaplain. And he, he asked the question, he said, how many of you are trying to live the Christian life? And of course, I put both hands up. He said, give it up. <laughs> and that was a shock to me. And he said, it's impossible for us to live the Christian life. And then what he went on to say, he said, this is his definition of the Christian life. But it revolutionized my life. He said, It's impossible for us to live the Christian life. And he said, the Christian life is the life Christ lived then, lived by him now in you. He said, the Christian life is Christ reliving his life in us. And see, I knew the truth of what it was to be in Christ, but I didn't understand the other side of the coin, Christ in you. And that revolutionized my life. So I gave up trying to live the Christian life because <laughs> it's impossible. But it's Christ reliving. And that's what Paul is saying here. Listen to verse 20, uh, 26, uh, 27, uh, 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this ministry of mystery among you, the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. So not just being in Christ, Paul's strong on that, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. And notice his uh, threefold ministry here in verse 28. Whom we preach, number one, warning every man. Number two, teaching every man in all wisdom. Number three, that we may present every man perfect, mature, complete in Christ. Warning every man, teaching every man, presenting every man. That's Paul's threefold ministry. But Christ in you, Christ reliving his life. So Jesus is the pattern. So he's the head of the church and God wants to do in us what he did in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is Paul's desire that as we mature and and Christ is formed in us, that the divine nature will subdue the human nature. Uh, I, I don't know why I've been this way the last se- several weeks. I've really been struggling with the Lord a, a little bit. I wish that when Christ saved us, he would have eradicated the law of sin from our life. How many would like that? I wish that when we baptized people and we buried the old nature, we could hold them underwater long enough <laughs> to wake up in heaven. No, 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 no. That'd be murder, wouldn't it? That'd be legalized murder. But you'd never have a backslider. You'd never have any trouble with any Christians anywhere. 
But you see, the law of sin is still in us. It's not yet eradicated. And what the Lord wants to do, Christ in us, he, he wants Christ to be formed in us. So that we go from victory to victory into living a Christian life. That's what this lesson's about tonight. Okay, that's it. Partakers of the divine nature. So Jesus, a sinless God, God man, two natures in the one person. So he wasn't schizophrenic. There's two natures in the one person. I'm just one person, but I have two natures in me. And you see, for all eternity, we're going to be two nature persons. What happens when Jesus comes and our old body is redeemed? He gets rid of the law of sin. That law of gravity that still wants to pull us down to earth. But he puts within us a higher law. And you see, the problem, the problem is, the battle that we all have is, that within us there's still the law of sin and death, but now there's a higher law. In fact, uh, while I'm on that thought, why don't you turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And uh, because Romans is a law book, uh, we'll particularly pick out a couple of the, the law here, uh, laws here. So in uh, Romans 8 and verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, Christ in you. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. All right, how many are free from the law of sin and death? Hands up. I have to disagree with you on that because if you're free from the law of sin and death, uh, I see this hand shaking there. You knew there was a catch. If you're free from the law of sin and death, you'll never die. Right? But we're physically not free from the law of sin and death. So let's continue on. For what the law could not do and that was weak through the flesh, God, sent, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law or righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So uh, let's, let, let, let's look at it this way. Uh, how many believe in the law of gravity? Uh, which is what goes up will come down. How many believe in the law of aerodynamics? So when you get into a plane, except quantum... No, I was... Oh, I was just thinking of news tonight. It was bad, it was bad. But, you know, I'm, we're on Qantas next week. I, oh, Father, please, please, have mercy on the plane. If you don't like me, all right, let's forget that part. Uh, so, so when I get into a plane, what happens? As long as I'm flying in the plane, I'm in the law of aerodynamics which is stronger than the law of gravity, right? Now, if the plane runs out of fuel, what law comes into operation? <laughs> what goes up must come down, okay. Some people have been finding that out recently, okay. So if I could just fly in heavenly places and keep refueling that plane, then I'm free from the law of gravity, it doesn't see the law of aerodynamics does not eradicate, I'm using my words carefully here, it does not eradicate the law of gravity. It's still there. But because I'm moving in a higher law, it's wonderful flying in heavenly places when I go to the old Gold Coast and suffer for Jesus there. <laughs> not next Sunday, next Saturday. Isn't that wonderful, darling? I am a good husband. Now I'm there, aren't I? All right. Now, I said all that to say this. Within us, we have the law of the spirit of life. It's a higher law. But I still have the law of gravity, the law of sin and death. And if I don't keep filled up with the spirit and keep moving in the higher law of the spirit, the law of aerodynamics, then what happens? I mess up. I'm pulled down by the law of gravity, the law of sin, the downward pull. So Paul is saying, we've got to move in the higher law.
keep living in the higher law. Keep filled with the Spirit. Can we say amen? amen? So just an illustration, but it's a good illustration. Okay, now let's go to, um, uh, just for time's sake here, let's go to Philippians chapter 2, under B, Christian responsibility. Okay, so we've got divine power, we've got the divine call, divine promises that by these, partakers of these, so many promises in the Word of God, and I'm partake of the divine nature. I realize that within the divine nature is the human nature and within the law of aerodynamics, the law of the spirit of life makes me free from the law of gravity as long as I keep moving in that law. Otherwise, I drop down to that law of sin, which I wish God would have eradicated the moment I became a Christian. I have some thoughts on that, but I'll leave that. Okay, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now, under, under letter B here, I've got uh, Christian responsibility. And Peter talks about that. We'll be coming back to that in a moment. So the balance between divine sovereignty and Christian responsibility. I want you to read carefully here, Philippians chapter 2. Now, I've heard many, many preachers, and you've probably heard it yourself here. Philippians 2 and verse 12. And it says... Um, in verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not, not as in my presence only, but now uh, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How many have heard that, that we've got to work it out? How many have heard of that? And see, that's not enough there. If we just take verse 12 without verse 13, then that's the problem. And you see, many preachers say, you've got to work it out. I'm working out my salvation. We're not working for our salvation. We're not even working out our salvation just on its own. Go to the next verse, and I've circled, and I'd encourage you to circle the two words in your Bible if you do. For, everybody say for. For it is God who works in you. I've circled the word out, work out, that's human responsibility, but work in, that's divine sovereignty. I can only work out as God works in. And so I constantly pray, Lord, work this in me. Because if you don't work it in me, I can't work it out. If I get into works only, what have I got on my notes here? If I get into work out then I can get into legalism, works, 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 work, I'm working at being a Christian. Okay, if I get in, well, if God's going to do it, let him do it. That's fatalism. But the two verses belong together. In my Bible, they have a sort of semicolon there. Okay, so work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, everybody say for again. For, it is God who works in you. So if you haven't marked it in your Bible, circle those words. Work out and God works in you. So God, work in me uh, to do of your own good pleasure. And notice what he says here. The language, you know, is so inspired. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So it's God who works in us both. To will and to do. Because all of us, including myself, we are pretty weak will. Got that from Adam and Eve. Okay, so we work out what God works in. So Christian responsibility. Now let's go back to Second Peter. And let's read uh, verses 5 through to 7 again. Second Peter. All right, now, under this we've got uh, uh, Christian responsibility. So remember our progression here. We've got the divine power. It's God that works in us. We've got a divine calling. We make our call and election sure. We have the divine promises, so many promises in the word, and we're partakers of the divine nature. We have divine nature within our human nature, natural birth, spiritual birth. Now in verse 5 of... Get into the right epistle. Verse 5. 
but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Now, this is your part, okay? God works in you, you work this part out. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. You know, I missed that word before, didn't I? Uh, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. So that's what you're saying, add. Um, how many of you ladies are good cooks? How many have ever done a sponge cake? What do you do? You read the recipe and we've got to add this and add this and add this and add this. Peter tells us we are to add five things in our Christian life. So work out as God works in. Okay, so add vegetable soup. I see my wife adding this and that. I say, don't make it too hot, don't make it too spicy. Sushi, sushi, sushi. Okay. Let's go to letter C. And I'll just have you add one verse there. These things, this expression is used one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Let me read these things, these things. What things? Talking about growing in Christian grace. God's part, our part. We are to add. So these things, in uh, verse, uh, verse 1, is it verse 1? Oh, let me go back to my old. Uh, uh, oh, yes, verse 3, thank you. Yeah, I've got it marked in, in my, I've got a dual column translation, as I've told you. I've got, got it marked in my old King James, but not completely marked in my new King James. All right, so verse uh, 3, uh, according as his divine power has given us all things. So he's given us all things, the divine power, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And then in verse 8, uh, for if these things, what things? That's what we're looking at. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, next use. But he that lacks these things is blind. What things? These things, these things. Cannot see afar off, and he's forgotten he was purged from his old, uh, his old sins. Verse 10. Uh, Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. What things are you talking about, Peter? And then in verse 12, uh, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. And then in verse 15, Moreover, even after I'm dead, I will endeavor that you may be able to, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. What things is he talking about? Verses 5 through to uh, 7. These are the things. Now, I'd like you to turn over the page to here. We're going to try and uh, make uh, a bit of time for questions too. All right, now, down, down, uh, oh, I think it's down the bottom of your sheet. Yes. Uh, the word add in uh, Strong's Concordance, I can't pronounce the word epigoio, edgio or something. Uh, means to furnish beside, fully supply, aid or contribute, add, minister, nourishment to, or for this very reason, since we are partakers of the divine nature, with diligence add. So I've tried to balance out divine sovereignty, God working in us, and human responsibility, diligence. All right, now, I want you to just alter uh, one number there. I, I missed that word out. Number one. Is the word, say it with me, diligence. Number two should be faith. So just put an arrow to uh, two different places there. Number two should be faith. Then number three, virtue. Then the rest of the numbers are right. So uh, just uh, that's entirely my fault. Okay, so number two is faith. Number three, virtue. All right, so notice now what Paul uh, Peter says here. Beside this... That's divine power, 
divine promises, divine nature, divine call. Beside this, give all diligence. And uh, the Greek word spude is there with speed, eagerness, earnestness, and uh, diligence. As Christians, though God has done his part, he works in us, we still have to work out. So this is a human responsibility, diligence. And uh, Hebrews 11:6, 6, uh, he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that what? Diligently. Not half-heartedly. Diligently seek him. So how diligent are we in our Christian growth? So diligence, eagerness with speed, earnestness. Then number two, faith. He says, giving all diligence, add to your faith... So add to your faith virtue. Faith is the foundation. We are to go from faith to faith. And faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Uh, I've given you some scriptures there. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the foundation. So we begin with a foundation of faith. Number two, uh, number three, there'll be number two is faith. All right. Add to your faith virtue. As number three, and the word virtue means valor, strength, and courage. And it does take courage to be a Christian. It takes courage to be a good Christian where you work, witness. Many times when I worked at a regular job, I have to say that because people say I don't, didn't work. So yeah, they want to tell me filthy jokes. I just turn to them and say, sorry, my ear is not your trash can to put all your filth in. My boss actually is a, a, a Jew. He got, actually got saved in self-defense. <laughs> Kept at him long enough. Hope he's still serving the Lord. Yeah, but courage, strength, valor. So add to your faith virtue. Number four, uh, add to virtue knowledge. And knowledge is, uh, I've put down Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, where we are to grow in grace and knowledge. So I trust that our sessions are not just helping you grow in knowledge or a head trip, but helping you to grow in grace. And uh, the word here is gnosis, and uh, it means to act on a practical knowledge received through the word. The word is used some 16 times in Second Peter in various Greek meanings, knowledge, knowing. So it's experiential, experiential and practical knowledge. So I hope what I've been giving you over the series is not just a head trip or mind trip, mind to mind, but it's working out practically in, in your experience. Everybody said amen? amen? All right, then number five, he says, add to knowledge temperance, or some translations uh, have self-control. So do you ever lose your temper? <laughs> you, you can't get rid of your temper by losing it. Did you get that? Some of you didn't get that, did you? Some of you will get that midnight tonight. Okay. All right. So fruit of the Spirit, self-control, learning to con not flying off the handle, you know, and a self-control over your desires, over your appetites, over your tempers, over your moods. <laughs> wow. That's a challenge, isn't it, right there? How many feel they need a little bit more help on that one? Okay. And then number six. Add to temperance, patience. Uh, and uh, uh, the uh, Greek thought apparently is perseverance, endurance, perseverance or steadfastness under trial, uh, testing or temptation. Many times we say, Lord, give me patience now. <laughs> I waited patiently for the Lord. I, you, you, Jesus learned patience by the things he suffered. I learned patience waiting for my wife in, a, in, a, in coals. <laughs> and I tell her, I waited patiently for my wife. But if I've got a book, I'm, ha I'm very happy. Yeah. Anyway, so you know what I mean. Okay, patience. So we had to add these things. These are Christian graces, divine ingredients, Christian graces that we had to add. You're to do this. God works in you. But you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is part of it. So perseverance. And then number seven, add to patience, godliness. 
And godliness is simply God-likeness. Are you like God at all? Do people see God in me or in you? We're supposed to be God-like. That's it. Very clear. And Peter uses this and so does Paul about godliness uh, in the last days. Um, I think the greatest compliment I only ever had at once was uh, I was working at a gas station, petrol station, Shell. You can be sure of hell. Uh, Shell. You can be sure of Shell. We used to cross out the S and put, you can be sure of hell. Anyway, I just locked up the, the garage and everything was going home, being with my wife, and some dear lady drove up and said, oh, could you check the water for me, please? <laughs> I thought, I've just locked up, I'm exhausted, I want to get home to my wife. Anyway, I opened the garage, yeah. She said, I don't want any petrol, just check my water. I thought, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but, but, but I did. And when I got to work on Sunday, and I think I did rather graciously, the boss told me, this lady that you checked her water on Saturday, she said, he just so reminded me of Jesus. Purely providential <laughs> or accidental. Anyway, it was only, it's only ever happened once. But, yeah, she just saw a bit of God in me just that moment. Yeah, it was a, probably a weak moment. Anyway, <laughs> but God-likeness, we are to be God-like. We are partakers of the divine nature. And the divine nature is to shine through the human nature, at least now and then, on the way there. How many can say amen on that? And then number eight, we are to add to uh, uh, godliness, brotherly kindness, unfeigned love of the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, the quality of kindness, and, you know, just little acts of kindness. Opening the door for your wife tonight. Instead of waiting, she'll, you go to bed and she looks out the window and says, oh, he's in bed, he didn't even open the door for me. Just <laughs> opening the door for a lady when you go out tonight. Open the door for somebody. I, I often do it purposely, just to be kind. And, you know, down the, the down knocks, I often say, oh, ladies first. Not, few, not, not many of us gentlemen left. We're a dying race. And the women always say, that's true. I mean, I don't need to be so emphatic on it, but just little acts of kindness. Now you're laughing with me, not at me. Okay. So just learn to be kind. We're living in an unkind, unthankful generation. We Christians should be the kindest people, kindest people out. Brotherly kindness, and that includes the sisters. And then the last one, number one, we are to add, you know, just add. Add virtue, add faith, add knowledge, add these things. So work out as God works in. Uh, add charity. And to brotherly kindness, charity. And the best one is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the qualities. And Jesus said, uh, by this will all men know that you my disciples, not if you speak in tongues, but if you have love one for another. That's it. Not only love for the brothers and sisters and onwards, but for all mankind. Just that nature of Jesus Christ being manifest in us. Uh, in the early church, they had a love feast. All right, as we bring our uh, time to a conclusion. So conclusion, believers who neglect or fail to do these things. So if you mark your Bible, I hope you've underlined six or seven times how these things, these things, these things. If these things, uh, but he that lacks these things is blind. He's short-sighted even to blindness. If these things be in you, the, what things? Okay, these things. So I'd like to encourage you to check it out. You know, are you diligent about faith and virtue and knowledge, temperance, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity? Lord, help me to be kind this week. Help me to do something that's going to help somebody, but for all mankind. So believers who neglect or fail to do these things become barren, idle, useless and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, short-sighted or spiritually blinded, uh, forgetful of the, of the cleansing of past sins, stumbling or tripped up in their walk. Therefore, in the light of all this, be the more diligent to make your call, 
verse 3, and election, verse 2, sure, the reward, so you will be granted an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one final illustration I had was, uh, yeah, no use me holding up, uh, it would be like a ladder. So if you drew a ladder, which I drew a little skit here, it's like a ladder. Uh, as you go up the ladder, the first rung of the ladder is faith. And as you go up the ladder, faith, and virtue, knowledge. And the higher you go up the ladder, the more dependent you are on the rungs that are beneath you. Because I've heard people say, well, it's like the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Not laying against the foundation of repentance, faith towards God, doctrine of baptism, because we just discard them. No. The higher up the ladder we go, the more dependent we are on the previous steps. God's at the top of the ladder. We're called to his glory and kingdom. So, we hope that uh, with this practical lesson, here ends our lessons on First and Second Peter, and we haven't exhausted it, and we haven't hopefully exhausted you. Everybody said amen. All right, we've just got a few moments before we finish here tonight, and go and pick up your children, if you've got any here. Uh, open it for questions on any area or anything that we've covered. Uh, yes, if you could. Thanks, Tina. I appreciate that. Did you turn it off or is no, it still, it's still on? Okay. All right. Uh, raise your hands if you've got a question on any of the sessions we've done. Okay. Uh, all right. You'll be next. <laughs> all right. And why don't you stand up so everybody can see you and hear you? Great job, by the way. Uh, Thank Kevin. you. Thank you. Champion. Um, yeah, just, just a couple of quick questions. They might be hard, but you might be able to answer them. Do you think... Um, that Jesus could have lived past a thousand years if um, I don't mean to be disrespectful about um, about the cross but um, so he wasn't subject to the law of sin and death that was the first question second question uh, let me son... answer that one first yeah. uh, I'd say yes because Jesus lived in the power of an endless life and uh, when he died on the cross three days and three nights in, in, in the heart of the earth and so forth remember he says on the, on the divine side, so on the, on the human side, we'd say the Romans crucified him, took away his life, pierced his side and everything like that. But we've got to remember on the divine side, he says, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up. This commandment I've received of my father. And when he died on the cross, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. So there was something sovereignty. And then mm. when he sees John in Revelation chapter 1 somewhere, he says, I am he that liveth. I was dead only for three days and three nights, but I'm alive forevermore. That's good. So he lives in the power of an endless life. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, and uh, Sorry. Uh, fourth day, uh, God created the sun and the stars. But in the beginning, he said, let there be light. Mm-hmm. So where do you think that light? Was that another sun? Very or? good question. Even the scientists tell me, and they're more brilliant than me, light exists apart from the sun. Mm. Okay. Thank you. All the sun did on the fourth day, the sun, moon, stars, was regulate light for the earth. But light exists apart from the sun. Very good. Uh, I think uh, a little red riding hood here. Uh, oh, Okay. <laughs> After, after you, just kidding. This was from last week when you mentioned about the angels being locked up, yes. the ones that have fallen. So what are demons then? Uh, my, own, my own understanding, because I've gone through every reference to angels in the Bible, every reference to demons, and uh, angels never really seek to inhabit a human body. They could assume a human body, but demons always like to either have a... Uh, a human body or an animal body. When Jesus cast out the 2,000s out of the uh, 2,000 demons out of the uh, demoniac, uh, they didn't want to be dis become disembodied spirits, so they asked permission to go into the pigs. And so the pigs didn't want to be demon-possessed, so they committed suicide, <laughs> and that's where we get deviled ham from.
Yeah, so I believe demons are evil spirits. And maybe, 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 uh, one of my questions. Maybe they come from a pre-Adamic race. I don't know. They're one of my questions. Uh, not the yeah, angels are, but when Paul talks about the the uh, satanic hierarchy, he talks about principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, wicked spirits. He makes a difference between angels and demons. It's a controversial thing, but that's my understanding as I've gone through the word on that. Very good. Little red whiting hood here. <laughs> just just here. Um, I just wanted to ask you about the Day of Judgment. Because I'm a bit confused because I thought that when Jesus comes back, he's already judged in a way because he's already decided who's going to take up and who's going to stay and be fighting on. And, um, you know, when he uh, reaps the harvest, uh, the earth mm-hmm. at the end times, isn't that a type of judgment? Uh, that is a type of judgment, but... We, we, we need to do the whole doctrine of judgment, eternal judgment. But you see, uh, we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not an issue of salvation. It's an issue of our works, what we've done, and also resurrection glory. So uh, you can just put down in your mind anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 15, and this is, this is for believers. It's nothing to do with our salvation. That's settled. So uh, first illustration, and this is how the Lord uh, dealt with me on it, that uh, when we stand before the Lord, Paul says that I've laid the foundation, other foundation can no man lay, and that we must take heed how we build. And if anybody builds of uh, gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble, that everything's going to be tried by fire. And it's not a matter of losing our salvation, it's a matter of reward. And so I'm, in my imagination, used the Lord... Years ago, the Lord dealt with me on this. That the Lord says to me, "Okay, Kim, what'd you do on the late planet Earth?" Well, Lord, you know, I've got all these acres and acres of stubble out here, and beautiful haystacks, and I destroy out of place, and you know, all this type of thing. I wrote six, sixty books. Didn't you read any of them? Word sells them, uh, you know. <laughs> and the Lord says to one of the angels, "Okay, strike a match on the holy fire, and everything goes up in holy smoke." And what have I got left? A heap of ashes. That's why he's going to wipe tears away from our eyes, some of us. And we don't lose our salvation, but there's no reward. That's what he's talking about. Uh, second one you want to say, well, you're greedy. <laughs> Paul says in the resurrection, there's one glory of the, of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. And as the stars differ from one another in glory, so also is the resurrection of the saints. So in the resurrection, some saints are going to come up in the glory of the sun, some the glory of the moon, some are going to twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. And see, my point is, and this is how the Lord dealt with me, what determines our resurrection glory? Not him. He does. We do. By obedience to light. So back in my early days as a Christian, I didn't believe in water baptism, I believe in the Holy Spirit, didn't believe in communion, didn't believe, I didn't believe in Jesus. Do those things matter? Or do people say, it doesn't matter as long as you accept Jesus. So when I stand before the Lord, is the Lord going to say to me, Kevin, you know, you weren't water baptized or spirit filled or anything, didn't have communion? Oh, I didn't think those things mattered. Our obedience to light determines our resurrection glory. That's it. So it's not a matter of salvation. That's the judgment seat for believers. At the end, the second resurrection is judgment for the unbelievers. Okay, I think we've got time for two more. Okay, thank you. The, uh, how, can you explain how do you derive the seven days of redemption? Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's Does it mean far. that from Adam yes. to uh, Jesus yes, it is 4,000 years? from Adam to Jesus, four days... Four days. 4,000 years? 4,000 years. About. That's why I said we're not setting dates because time's messed up. I mean, the calendar's been changed. But in God's mind, he's got the calendar, the final thing. And then we are living in the last days, day five, day six. 
and we are living in the last of the last days and I know day seven is a thousand years because when the devil's bound in the BP, uh, the bottomless pit I mean, <laughs> not the BP gas station, that gives me enough clue. And then I could give you a lot more illustrations of the days. One from Hosea chapter 6. After two days, he will revive us and the third day, we'll live in his sight. What, what, what's, now, I've got too much of that. That's enough on that. Second question. Can, can you illustrate, uh, you say, uh, through the precious promise, great and precious promises, we may participate in his divine nature. Mm-hmm. Like what promise and how do we yes, participate Yes, well, in you, I mean, they, 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 these guys, they tell me, you might help me on this, how many promises are in the Bible? About 3,110. There's many, many promises. So when I go through the promises of Jesus or the promise that Paul writes about, some promises we can have now, Hebrews 11 tells us, but some we don't get until we get eternal life. Like it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promise. So there's promise of healing. Some of us get healed, some of us don't. There's promise of resurrection life. There's promise of eternal life. There's promises of God opening the word to us, giving us understanding. There's many promises. So I'd recommend you get a book on all the promises in the Bible by uh, who, who, who does all the alls, all the promises, all the... Pro- uh, anybody know? He's done about 12 books on all. Who? Huh? Uh, no, not Ian Bounds. Uh, uh, Lockyer. Uh, Herbert Lockyer, thank you, you're brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Try and get his book, All the Promises in the Bible. He lists every promise. Yes. Our time's up. Okay. Let's stand up. Closing prayer. Thanks for being such a wonderful bunch. And uh, they have taken the risk to invite me again next year. So it's on one condition that some of you turn up. (laughs) Father, we just thank you for this time we've had over these four weeks. Uh, Just your inexhaustible word. We pray, Lord, that you'll write it deep in our hearts and in our minds, Lord. Not just information, uh, but formation of our character. Let your blessing be upon us now as we go out into the world. May we be salt and light in every place that we are as Christians. We give you all the glory in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. If you've enjoyed today's teaching by Kevin Connor, be sure to check out his books, available from word.com.au in Australia, amazon.com all over the world, and now downloadable as PDFs on kevinconnor.org.